Amen. Well, before we get out of our announcement uh, frame of mind, I do have one additional announcement to make as well, and that is our second Saturday outreach event, uh, which is on second Saturday of August, um, which is August 13th. Um, we're really excited about this particular outreach event. If you're not familiar with our second Saturday ministry, it's a monthly ministry that partners with a different uh, ministry in our Arlington, typically in our Arlington area, uh, in an effort to reach out into our community. Uh, this month, or next month, I guess technically for August, uh, we're going to be hosting it here actually. Um, and we're going to be partnering with Kids Closet, which is a ministry that gives away free kids clothes. It's campus here at ABC. Uh, we're also going to be doing some work in our kids wing as well, which again is an outreach hub essentially for, for children and families. Um, and then we're also going to be kind of uh, putting a little twist on a outreach thing that we, all, we always do or we've always done since I've been here is a cookie drive that we normally do. Um, this month or this year what we're going to do is instead of doing a cookie drive for all of our schools, for the teachers of those schools, is we are going to put little goodie bags together uh, for the teachers um, of Parsons Christian Academy as well as Arlington Heights Elementary. And so on our second Saturday, on August 13th, um, where we're going to ask, one, that you bring those items. Uh, if you're not sure what those items are, uh, there's a list just outside these sanctuary doors. There's just some candy, uh, some basic uh, teacher supplies as well. Um, and then on that second Saturday, on August 13th, we're going to you know, receive all those, and then we're going to put those baggies together uh, to be given out um, the next week. Uh, for the first week of school starting. And so I'd love for you guys to participate both by bringing candy uh, and the other items on that list, which you can bring next week if you'd like, uh, next Sunday. Um, but just know that they'd have to be really next Sunday or on August 13th are your only options for bringing them in. Um, and then we just invite you to participate in that second Saturday. Yeah, so, so Pastor Brett mentioned a, a busy August. Uh, Family Sunday next Sunday, uh, second Saturday on the 13th. Youth Sunday on the 14th, and then a member presentation on the 21st. So a lot uh, going on uh, this month. Um, so with all that said, we're going to transition uh, to the time of the service where we uh, together look at God's Word. Um, if you've been with us, you know we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, it's, we're in chapter 14, which means we've spent... Uh, we've gone chapter by chapter, so we spent 13 weeks in 1 Corinthians already. Uh, it's taken us 14 weeks because we skipped uh, one week um, to observe our family, uh, family Sunday. We did our kids' curriculum uh, back at the beginning of June. Um, and just to give you kind of a winding down our series, so just to give you a little forecast, um, today we're going to look at chapter 14. Uh, the next two weeks we will be off of uh, the 1 Corinthians series. Uh, next week during Family Sunday, we're going to uh, use the kids' curriculum for that week. A uh, remi good reminder that we're, we never graduate um, uh, any, any biblical truth, whether it's for kids or not. Uh, the following week, Pastor Brett's going to preach a standalone. And then on the 21st, we'll get back into 1 Corinthians uh, by looking at chapter 15. Uh, Mr. Glenn Norton's going to preach that week. And then on the 28th, we'll close out our 1 Corinthians study looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So a lot. Um, happen. I know you guys will remember all of those dates um, perfectly, uh, but just know that um, we've been 
digging into this study for a long time, and it's about to come to a close. And so as we're looking at chapter 14 today, I just want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to there. Um, I, will, I will admit, this is a difficult uh, chapter, at least it's a difficult chapter for me. That's why I brought the big Bible uh, this morning, um, because this is a challenging chapter, chapter 14. Um, we are going to dig into it, but before we do, uh, let me just take a moment to pray over the preaching and teaching of uh, God's Word, and then we'll, we'll dig in together. Uh, Lord, we love you. Um, God, we just thank you that you've given us your Word um, in written form um, to, to read, uh, to breathe in, to rest in, to grow in, um, to allow to correct our poor behavior, to encourage our good behavior um, as we seek to be like you. And so, God, I just pray as a church family that you would help us to, to rest in your Word well, um, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, the truth is that all of your word is equally inerrant, uh, is equally authoritative. And so, God, I pray that we would feel that. We would feel your presence um, in this chapter this morning. Uh, we'd be drawn closer to you than we walked in. Uh, for some in this room, maybe we'd be drawn to you for the first time, uh, surrendering our life to you, abandoning our former way of life, fleeing the sinfulness of this world in our own hearts and clinging to you as the only one that could save our broken and lost souls. Um, and for others, God, I pray it would be an encouragement as we continue to live as best we possibly can for your name's sake, to know you and to make you known. Um, so let this message be for you, Lord. I remove any distractions that might be in this place. Let every word that I speak be directly from your mouth and not from my own. Um, and just allow us to, to grow in you in this place. Let us have expectant hearts as we humbly approach your word, recognizing it as as powerful as it is uh, and as, as, as purely your presence as it is. Um, and so we love you, Lord, and we just ask you to speak to us in a powerful way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to start off uh, by reading... Not the entirety of the chapter, it's a really long chapter. Um, we're going to read the first five verses and the last four verses as they give us enough of kind of an intro and summary of what the whole chapter is about, and then we'll kind of dig into some of the middle sections of, of this chapter as we go. Um, I want to invite you to follow along starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says this, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the one hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for, uh, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. And then jumping over to verse 37, continues on, it says this, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy 
and do not forbid speaking in other tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. Now, this text requires a good bit of context, so I'm going to take us back a couple weeks to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you remember, we talked about spiritual gifts. Um, we decide, we de- defined what spiritual gifts were. We talked about where they came from, um, and we talked about their purpose, which is to serve the church, uh, to serve God's church by growing it, one, numerically, by reaching lost people, uh, but also by growing the church in depth in terms of people's individual understanding and knowledge of who God is. So we're growing in depth, but we're also growing in width uh, because of spiritual gifts that God has given to all people, right? And those spiritual gifts work or give us our our function as a part within this body uh, that is Arlington Baptist Church or for anyone who attends any uh, local church. Uh, We then talked about um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which was last week, we talked about love. Uh, It's the famous love chapter, the most quoted uh, wedding scripture that there is, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And we uh, talked about what love is. We talked about where love comes from. And again, we talked about what we do with love, which again is to serve the church. It's to love on non-believers so they might know the love of God, but it's also to love on believers so they might uh, strengthen their knowledge and understanding of who God is as well. And so we talked about spiritual gifts, and then we talked about love, and here we arrive to chapter 14, uh, which is really kind of how those things then work together. Um, And Paul kind of shares that by giving an example uh, that the Corinthians in particular are dealing with as they're seeking to uh, live out their spiritual gifts and do so in a loving way in an effort to build up the local church. And so with all that being said, this passage is primarily about um, that, but he uses the example giving, um, uh, talking about prophecies and talking about speaking in tongues. Um, And so it's going to take a little bit of digging to get to where we want to get this morning as we look at this passage and discern uh, both the content of what Paul's saying, but also the heartbeat behind what Paul's saying, the principles that apply to us today. Um, If tongues and prophecies Uh, don't seem overly exciting to you, I encourage you to continue to listen. I think Paul uh, gives us verse 38 um, in this passage for a good reason. Verse 38, it says, if anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. Uh, Again, I think that that's true for all of scripture. um, That It's all useful uh, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and encouraging Um, But I think he throws that little nugget in here because he knows this passage is a little bit challenging. And so uh, we're going to approach it with all of that in mind, but recognizing that it is significant and is important. I want to give an illustration and maybe help kind of give, again, just a framework of of spiritual gifts, love, uh, and them working together um, before we dive right in. Um, And the illustration is this. Does anybody in here uh, put together IKEA furniture? Okay, well, not as many people as I would have thought. Well, I put together a lot of IKEA furniture. Um, that by no means makes me an expert. Um, but I will say I found that it can typically go one of three ways when you're building IKEA furniture. The first way, um, I remember I was putting together when we first moved in our home uh, these outdoor chairs. And I put together the first chair, and I followed the instructions as much as I needed to to get the chair together. And I got it together. 
Uh, it was firm. I sat in it. It worked uh, as, you know, as chairs are supposed to work. Um, and so then I move on to the second chair, and I'm building it, and I get to the armrests, and I just couldn't get them to fit for some reason. I was super confused. And so I you know, traded them. I flipped them upside down. I'm thinking, what am I doing differently than I just did? And I tried a million different things, fully convinced that I was the one that was confused and wrong. When come to find out, they gave me two left-sided uh, armrests. And so I just had the wrong pieces. Um, and from conversations I've had with other people, sometimes that just happens with IKEA stuff because they're putting all the, the pieces in the box. Sometimes you get the wrong pieces. And if you get the wrong pieces, right, you will never get the desired outcome. Right? You'll never get what you hope to get. Right? So that's one example of how it can go when you're putting together IKEA furniture. The second example that comes to my mind is you have all the right pieces, you just don't put the pieces together the right way. Um, which, I'm, which is probably the, the example that happens the most for me personally. Um, my wife's teacher, a year ago, she uh, was putting together her classroom and she wanted to get these two white bookshelves um, for a classroom. They're the same, they're only this tall, there's three shelves, they're not, or two shelves, they're not that difficult. Um, and so I go into a room, I go to put one together, and I finish, I'm like, all right, I'm done. And then we look at the bottom shelf and there's these metal circle things on the bottom that I realized we're supposed to go underneath the shelf. I had put the bottom shelf on upside down, and so now there's these big metal screw things on the bottom of it. And once you get to that point, there's really no fixing it unless you take the whole thing apart. And so my wife was sweet. She's like, it's okay. You know, I'm just going to put stuff on there anyway. You don't need to, to fix it. And I had a second bookshelf to put together, though. And so I knew my mistake. I get to that same step, and I'm like, I'm not going to put that upside down. So I put the metal pieces down fix it, it's all together. Uh, I'm like, look, I'm done. And she looks at it and notices that the very bottom was not white like the rest of the bookshelf. It was uh, unpainted brown. And so not a, I flipped it the right direction, but now it was backwards. And so I messed up both of her shelves in her classroom. And so you can have all the right pieces, right, and still put it together wrong or not put it together at all. And again, when you do so, you don't get the exact desired outcome. You know, sometimes you might say good enough and just move on. Other times we, you know, redo it and try again, um, which then leads to the third outcome is that you have all the right pieces and you put all the right pieces together in the right way to get the desired outcome. And as we talk about spiritual gifts and as we talk about love, um, those are the pieces, right, that Paul has talked about over the last two chapters and he talks about in several other places in his epistles um, what we've got to be weary of and what we're reading chapter 14 with the lens of is how do these pieces fit together for the purpose of what they were designed, right? And we've already laid it out there. Our, our text actually lays it out pretty well in verse 5 as well. Uh, he says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. So he's talking about tongues and he's talking about prophecy, um, he says, "Greater than the per or he says, the person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets." And then here's the purpose: so that the church may be built up. Right, and that's what we've been talking about as the goal of spiritual gifts, as the goal of love. It's the goal here as we talk about prophecy and as we talk about tongues. And so, what we're going to do is look at the pieces and see how they fit best together in a healthy way that builds up the church. Again, numerically. Uh, but also in depth of uh, relationship with its believers. And so, with all that being said, the main point that I want to boil it down to is this. Spiritual gifts work together 
for the purpose of building up the church. Spiritual gifts work together for the purpose of building up the church. Um, we've already addressed, again, that we all have spiritual gifts. Uh, we've all addressed that we have the love of God inside of us as those who have surrendered their life to Jesus. It's just a matter of those things converging to build up God's church. And so with all that being said, here's how we're going to approach the rest of the chapter. And we're going to do so relatively uh, quickly or a little bit more concisely maybe than normally on a Sunday um, but the first thing we're going to do is we're going to define the words prophecy and the word uh, tongues. Or we're going to define those spiritual gifts. One, because this isn't just a chapter that gives us a, a blueprint for which we apply to our own situation as a church. It's also teaching content. Um, and here the content happens to be what are prophecies and what are tongues. And so that's the first thing we're going to look at is we're going to define those things. Uh, plus, if you don't know what the words mean, it'll be hard to follow the example anyway. Um, and then secondly, once we've defined those words, we're then going to talk about the relationship between the two words. And after we talk about the relationship between the two words, we're going to ask ourselves, what are the practical applications for us today as we do church um, in, in real time here at ABC? And so with all that said, let's start with the first of those points, uh, asking ourselves, what are prophecies? And what are tongues? Uh, let's start with prophecy, as that's the one mentioned first in our text. Uh, the Greek word for prophecy is prophetes, prophetes, and it has a really unique and deep definition, um, but it kind of boils down into two primary definitions. Um, the first of which I'll read uh, is this. Uh, men filled with the Spirit of God, who by God's authority and command in words of weight, pleads the cause of God and urges the salvation of men. And so this first definition, there's a couple key words there, talks about uh, the authority and command of God that carries with it a weight uh, that ultimately is to make God's purposes known. And so uh, some examples, some three primary examples of this, how this type of definition fits into prophecy would be uh, the Old Testament prophets, for example. Right, they would speak on God's behalf, and when they spoke, it carried with it uh, the weight of God's authority, which is why their prophecies are included in Scripture, right? because it was God's word spoken through them, but it, it wasn't just God's word spoken through them. It carried the authority and the infallibility and the inerrancy of God's very word itself. Right? So God was speaking through them in a way that people were supposed to listen and follow and if they didn't, they are disobeying God directly. All right, that's, that's what the Old Testament prophets, that's the kind of prophecy, w w what this word means. Uh, we also see it in John the Baptist in the New Testament as one who came uh, speaking and, and prophesying or making a way for the Lord uh, that Jesus was coming. And again, we see his words included in Scripture as words that carried weight. And again, to not follow meant to sin against God himself. Um, and then you have examples of the apostles, the New Testament apostles. Their words were carried in the same weight, which is why they're included in this book. Um, Paul, Peter, John, three primary authors that wrote most of the New Testament um, who were apostles who, again, when they prophesied or when they spoke, their speech carried with it the weight of God's authority, which now if we don't listen or listen to or follow, we are directly sinning against God. So there's, so there's that level of prophecy 
which is held of extremely high regard. Um, and then there's another definition that we can look at of prophecy, which is this. In the religious assemblies of the Christians, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to speak, having power to instruct, comfort, encourage, rebuke, convict, and stimulate their hearers. So this is clearly a, a lesser form of prophecy in the sense that even though they're speaking and encouraging others, right, being, being uh, spurred on by the Holy Spirit, uh, speaking God's word, it doesn't carry with it the infallibility that God's word carries with it, right? So it's meant more for encouraging or building up individuals, as we'll see in a few moments as we look deeper into our text. So there's, so there's two different kinds of prophecies, and, and we've got to ask ourselves, which kind of prophecy is this passage referring to? Well, it's definitely referring to the second definition. Uh, we know that, one, by the context, which we'll get into a little bit more in just a few minutes, um, but we also know that because Scripture later tells us by uh, the New Testament apostles as they uh, spoke in, in, again, God's authoritative voice, um, that any who come after claiming to speak with the same authority are coming falsely. Um, and so we know that they're speaking more with that second definition of prophecy. And so, so let me give some examples of what this kind of prophecy might look like. If it's not speaking God's direct word that we have to all obey, and, and let me just say the danger in that nowadays is, and there are some churches that believe there's modern day prophets, and when they speak, their words carry the same weight as scripture, which is very dangerous, right? For, for people to come up and say, I have the same authority that God's word has, which is ironic because God's word sa says that we don't uh, any longer. Um, so let me give some examples then of what kind of prophecy Paul is referring to here. There's a pastor um, who uh, preached a message, uh, was a pretty well-known pastor, he preached a message He's got a thousand-person congregation, and he's encouraging his church to start small groups. Um, but not just attend organized Bible groups or Sunday school, but to just start groups wherever you're at as you're doing life. And so he was saying, like, you know, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, just get people together and talk about God's word. And, and he's like, he says this example. He says, he's like, if you're working on the 34th floor of the IDS building, which is a, just a building in that particular town, he's like, so just start a small group on that floor, on the 34th floor of that, that building. Right? And after he preaches his message, a lady comes up to him, and she's like, why did you use that example that you used? And he's like, honestly, I don't know. He's like, I didn't prepare that in my notes. It just kind of came out. And she's like, well, I work on the 34th floor of the IDS building, and I've been praying about whether or not I should start a small group. Right? So that would be modern-day prophecy. Right? You wouldn't write that down and add it to the Bible, but that is a word from God spoken specifically to a person to build them up and encourage them in their walk to follow where God might be leading. All right, another example, uh, Charles Spurgeon says it this way. Uh, Charles Spurgeon is a famous pastor. He's, his nickname is the Prince of Preachers. And he, he's quoted saying this, I could tell as many as a dozen cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it. And so striking has been my description that the persons have gone away and said to their friends, come see a man that told me all the things I ever did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent of God to my soul or else he could not have, been descri or could not have described me so exactly. So a couple things in his example is, again, it's, it's, it's the Spirit prompting us to, 
to know things, whether we even knowingly are saying them or not, like in the other pastor's case, when he gave his sermon, he didn't know that he was speaking specifically to someone, or in Charles Spurgeon's case, where you do, right? Spirit-prompted, right? And as we'll see in a little bit, is also to be tested, right? It doesn't mean that you just kind of go out trying your luck at fortune-telling to see what sticks, right? Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Peace, Prince of Prince of Preachers um, said that he experienced only 12 in his whole life. So this isn't God's primary method of communication, but it is a method that he uses both then and today to make his name known. And so that's what we mean when we said prophecy as defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which leads then to the next word, uh, which is the gift of tongues or the speaking of tongues. And this one we don't get as much help from uh, the Greek, because it literally just means tongue or languages. Um, but it does give a pretty good definition in our text. But before I give that, let me first say what it doesn't mean. Um, in Acts chapter 2 is the first example we really see of, of speaking in tongues, if you will. And it's, it happens to the, 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 the disciples and, and those who are in the upper room gathered. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes down on them. There's a flaming tongue over all of their heads. And they begin speaking uh, in a language that they don't even understand themselves, but there are uh, Jewish people who came for the day of Pentecost who are surrounding uh, their building, who, who come, that, you know, come their way because of all the noise and all the ruckus, and they can hear, and, and again, they're coming from all different nations, so they all speak different languages, but they all come and they all hear the same message as if they're speaking in their own language, right? And so, so one, there are some people who will wrongly claim that, well, this type of tongues, you know, because it followed the gift of the Holy Spirit must follow for all people or it follows salvation. Well, that's not true. Uh, this is more of a one-off instance that we see in Scripture. But also in this case, uh, it's happening primary, primarily to non-believers, and it doesn't require the gift of interpretation. Um, and so they're, they're just doing it, Holy Spirit prompted, and the people who are in need of Jesus just happen to hear it all in their own language. That's not what's being referred to here in 1 Corinthians 14. So that's more of a one-off instance. Um, here, we see it look a little different. Let me read verses 6 through 11 uh, to paint what um, speaking in tongues looks like as described in this chapter. It says, So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching, even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, but they don't make a distinction in the notes? How will what is played on the flute or the harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible, uh, or intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. And so here, what Paul is describing is a gift of speaking in tongues or a language that's not known to you, by which there is another person who has been given a gift of interpretation who then can interpret the tongues that you are speaking. Right, uh, and, and so that's the, the, the difference between Acts chapter 2 and, and what we see here. And he goes on to say, and we'll see it in just a moment as we, as we kind of ask our next question, is it's only used 
It's really recommended not to be used in services, but if it is used in services, done so minimally and always with an interpreter. And so churches are places where you see people just speaking on, you know, on their own. Um, Paul is essentially saying here that that's useless. useless. It serves the person, the person alone, and doesn't serve the purpose of building up the church, which is what spiritual gifts are given for. Um, Now, again, maybe you're sitting here asking yourself, how do these apply today? Uh, Maybe you're thinking, I've never seen the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues in person, Um, and perhaps they're very less common giftings that we see in our world today, and so maybe you've got little or no experience with them, and so what then can I learn from this passage? Well, that leads us to our next question. We've defined kind of what those spiritual giftings look like, um, now we must ask ourselves, how do they work together? Because here's the, here's the problem with what we see in this passage so far, is, is Paul is essentially calling them out for not, again, we talked about merging love and gifts, he's essentially calling them out for not doing so. Um, he's not giving a, and we know that because he starts off chapter 14 by saying the gift of prophecy is greater than the gift of tongues, right? which is not actually true because in chapter 12, Paul tells us that that no gift is greater than another, right? That, that the weaker gifts are actually indispensable, right? And the stronger gifts are actually viewed to a lesser degree. And so, so all gifts are viewed equally in God's sight. And so if that's not what he means, well, what does he mean? He's, he's trying to correct their poor view of how those two gifts fit together. You see, what the Corinthian church had been doing is they had been overemphasizing the gift of tongues while twisting its purpose. And so, again... They were all seeking that gift, using that gift while using it poorly. Uh, So again, maybe we can't relate to that same idea as it relates to those two particular spiritual gifts, but are we not too prone to overemphasizing certain spiritual gifts and then twisting those gifts' actual purpose and building up the church? I think for sure we are, not just collectively as a church, but as individuals to wrongly seek gifts for poor reason, to be tempted to twist the purpose of gifts to be more self-serving than church-serving. Again, for example, it might be hard for us to relate to those things, but two of the most, um, I would say, overemphasized and and twisted spiritual giftings that I see today, and this is just to give examples, are one, the teaching gift. Uh, There are so many churches that raise up kind of like celebrity pastors, sort of, um, that get become wrongfully sought after. Uh, it becomes more about the person teaching than it does about what they're teaching. Right? Or same thing happens with music. Uh, and in both cases, we're seeing more and more nowadays both pastors and worship leaders fall away from the faith, uh, crumbling under the burden that they've created. These, again, not bad spiritual gifts, but spiritual gifts that weren't, married, weren't meant to carry that kind of weight, that they're putting that kind of weight on, right? And so we've got to be careful of is, is, am I defining these gifts well, and am I using them for the right reason? Again, loving others and loving each other, right? And ultimately loving God in the process. Because that's what wasn't happening here. They're overemphasizing the gift of tongues and they were underemphasizing the gift of prophecy. And what Paul's pointing out is in the context of gathering, prophecy is actually more useful. Right? It's not that it, 
in the total realm of giftings, it's better or more useful. But specifically in the context of gatherings, prophecy is more useful because it encourages the believers. Right? That's primarily what us gathering here today is for. Right? Chances are most people in here are saved, and so we're going to encourage one another to then go out and share the gospel to non-believers. Right? If there are non-believers in here, we're still going to share the gospel with them and, and hope that they hear and submit their life to Jesus. But our primary reason for being here is encouraging one another, right? growing in our faith so that when we leave, we can be more equipped and be, be better able to share the gospel when we leave. Right? And, and, and prophecy does that. Prophecy does that for them and encourages the believer. Just like the example of the pastor I gave where that person then went on to start a small group that went on to lead people to Jesus in their workplace. Um, whereas tongues, which we'll see, really is meant for uh, personal or more of an outreach type effect. It's more outside the gathering of people. And so let me, let me break it down this way. Let's start with how they, first, how they don't fit together. And then we'll see a couple passages of how they do fit together. Verses 2 through 5, which you already read, we'll read again. It says, For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a Tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, again, reminding us that it's not a bad gift. But he says, but even more that you prophesy. And again, he's speaking specifically in the context of their local gatherings, not just generally speaking, which we'll see later because he gives directions for when they're gathering uh, in church meetings and the order of which these gifts ought to work together. But he says, the person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. And so again, what he's saying is that the primary way of doing that within the context of the church is through prophecy. You can do it through speaking in tongues. It's just less often or perhaps less common. But either way, the focus has to be on building up the church, not on building up self. Right? For them, tongues became the thing where whoever spoke the most tongues or spoke tongues the loudest became the person who was dubbed the most spiritually mature, which was not what was, it, which was, not what was happening at all. They're really just self-serving and not church-serving. If you look at verses 22, really on through 32, we see a few ways that, uh, that Paul writes how they ought to fit together. Um, verses 22 through 25 to start, he says, Speaking in tongues, then, is intended as a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted uh, by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. And so all Paul is saying here is that tongues are primarily used outside the church, whereas prophecy is primarily used inside the church. And then he gives clarifications to both, saying that they can't both be used in reverse order either, but you're overemphasizing it the wrong way, thus twisting what the gift is actually meant for. And if you continue on in verses 26 through 32, he gives more 
description or really begins his description for, for order within the church meetings or church gatherings. He says, What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. Again, he reiterates it there in verse 26. And he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate. But if, someone, or, but if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophets' spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And so within the context of their gathering, both were allowed, both were to be used in the right way without twisting their purpose, which is solely for building up. And he goes so far as to say, if it can't be used for building up, then remain silent and don't use it at all. Right? So either if you don't have the gift or there's been the temptation to twist the gift, they don't use the gift, right? But if they are to be used together, they work together for the building up of God's people. And so as we wind down and get ready to close with the final question, so we've talked about what those words are. We've talked about how they specifically can work together within a church service and among a body of believers. We've then got to ask ourselves, what does all of this mean for us today? Uh, and as we answer this question, I want to invite the worship team to come up as we get ready to close, because really this response is going to be more than the discerning of your own heart. Um, but a few questions or a few things for us to consider. First, know that the Holy Spirit gives all people spiritual gifts. And as Paul said in his opening, he says to, uh, to pursue love but he also says to desire the gift of prophecy. Um, and again, it is good to desire the specific gift of prophecy, but even more than specifically desiring that gift is a call that it's okay to desire spiritual gifts, right? It's okay to desire uh, any which gift. And here, he seems to be pointing out that one in particular because it was an area of need, right? More people were focused on tongues that they, they failed to to seek or to desire a gift that was maybe being underutilized, which was the gift of prophecy, which could have been used to encourage the church. And so we have to, one, remember that, I mean, God has given you spiritual giftings, right? things that you could not do on your own ability, not just things you're good at or talents, but spiritual giftings given only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's okay to desire those things. Right? But the method Paul gives for desiring is desire that which can help build up the church. Right? I can't tell you how many times I've had the, we'll call it a privilege, to watch kids. Right? I've had that opportunity, that privilege, and I've had to ask the Holy Spirit, give me a gifting here. Right? Because I don't know that I have it. Right? The supernatural patience and, and, and teaching that, that little kids can hear. Right? But how many of us see the, the hard areas or difficult areas and just kind of avoid that and pursue the fun things or the things that kind of are self-serving? So Paul is saying is, again, gifts are good. Seek gifts and seek gifts that will 
help the church be built up. And for different churches, that might look like different things at different times. So for us, it's evaluating, man, what, how can our church be most built up? Is it the spiritual? Is it tongues? Is it, is it, uh, is it prophecy? Is it, is it teaching? Is it, is it kids, workers? Is it evangelism? Right? What is it that will help build our church and desire after those gifts? That doesn't even mean you'll get those gifts, but desire for the church to be built up however, however the Holy Spirit might lead. And so that's the first thing for us to remember. The second thing is, is let's not overemphasize some spiritual gifts over others. All right, let's, we, let's make sure we learn from the Corinthians not to overhype the gift of teaching or the gift of singing or the gift of uh, evangelism or the gift of greeting, whatever gift you feel like might be the fun gift or the, 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 the popularity gift or the self-serving gift. Let's be quick to recognize that all gifts are equal. Uh, no gift is greater or worse. I'm not greater than so-and-so because I teach. They're not greater than me because they uh, do evangelism better. And so let's keep them in the right heart and right place as, as in terms of emphasis. And then next, let's not twist the purpose of spiritual gifts. Right? They are all meant for building up the church. And again, building up the church we defined as helping believers know God more deeply and reaching lost people to increase our church numerically or God's church numerically, but also us as well. We're, we're growing, we're building up our church numerically and we're building up our church in depth. And if a spiritual gift doesn't have that purpose, then we've twisted the purpose of that spiritual gift in one way or another. And so let's be sure not to fall into that trap as well and then lastly, and I've reiterated all, all, all already, but the main point again, spiritual gifts work together for the purpose of building up the church. I am convinced, church, that the number of people we have here is the exact number of people that God has asked us to have in this moment, who he has given each one of you the right giftings um, by the power of the Holy Spirit to be used in the perfect way uh, together to build up God's church. And as we grow, we'll have more people to be contributed to that. Um, but it starts with us recognizing that that includes us. I shared a, a verse, or I referenced a verse um, in our membership class this morning saying that uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray that God would send workers and I remember reading that verse a bunch of times, always thinking that, man, we need more people. We need more people. The mission is huge. But as I continued praying and reflecting on that verse, I don't think that's what it means at all. Um, and the reason I think that is because since when did God need more people to accomplish his will? If anything, there's instances in Scripture where God actually tries to have less people so that he will get more credit. And so if it's not that he needs more people, then what is it? It's that he needs sent people, or he needs people who are actually working. And so my prayer, my hope for us is, is that we would recognize, again, just like the early church, 120 people gathered in an upper room, led to the largest 
church growth that the world has ever seen, even to this day. Uh, and we sit about the same number here this morning. And how powerful would it look if all of us recognized, sought after, and used our gifts together. Again, fit together as only God could based on what he knows we need for this community and what our lost people look like. Man, what a tremendous impact um, God could do through you and I. And, and nobody, nobody doesn't fit that. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't have any gifts. Like, there's nothing I could do. I promise you, you are wrong. And I would love to prove it to you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to close our time this morning. Um, and I just challenge you. If, if you are, well, first off, if you are in here and you are not a Christian, I'm going to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus, to join this family. Um, chances are, if you're not a Christian, you've been searching after all kinds of things, trying to find something to, to bring some joy in your life. And, and, and I guarantee you haven't found it because Scripture tells us we only find it in Jesus. And if that's you, I want to invite you to surrender your whole life to Jesus to join a family full of imperfect people that God is using together to bring him, himself and glory. Uh, and then ultimately, well then as a byproduct, us joy, we find joy in God being glorified. Um, but if you're also sitting here and you're not serving, you're not certain as what your gifts are, you don't know what your part is, uh, we would love to help you find that. We taught our whole membership class this morning on that very idea. Um, and I actually forgot to put out the serve sign-up sheets. And so we're going to make it a collective invitation this morning. If you're interested in knowing what your gift is, helping find your part in this church, or if you think you may know what it is and you'd like more information, we've got some sign-up sheets just outside that door. Um, and again, this isn't just, you know, a marketing campaign for us to get more volunteers. This is knowing that that you can't find the joy that God wants for you to have outside of serving God the way he has created you to serve him. And that doesn't always even mean within these walls. Maybe it's a Bible group at work. Right? It could be anything. And, like, and we have no agenda as to what God might want to do. Ministries he might want to firm up. Ministries he might want to create. And so let's collectively be open um, to hearing God's voice together as we merge the giftings he's placed in us with our love for him and love for others to see a church that is built up in him. Amen. I'm going to pray and then we invite you to respond this morning.